Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid traffic. And I'm here with Gray McKenzie to talk about a topic that I think is going to be either divisive, repellent, or maybe just boring. I think that's the challenge, Gray, is we have to not put people to sleep. Challenge accepted. Having talked to you already, I think you're going to be able to pull it off. But it's one of those things, it's like accounting, dude. It's like, look, I know I need it. I know it's important, but please don't talk to me. Like, I hope I don't have to sit next to you on a plane. You know what I mean? Because I just don't want to. So to introduce you to our listeners, since I've already butchered the introduction, Gray's the co-founder of ZenPilot. ZenPilot's a training and consulting business that helps agencies through project management implementation. And you said something right before we started recording that I thought was a brilliant quotable. Would you mind repeating that, please? Yeah, I was just saying project management is not fundamentally about software. I've never quoted this before, by the way, but project management is not fundamentally about software, even though that's where the bulk of the dollars go trying to solve project management challenges. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to dig into that with you, but I also want to maybe set the stage a little bit. Half of our listeners are agencies, marketers, freelancers, so I think they're right down the middle of the lane. The other half are CMOs, director of marketing, business owners. And so I want to make sure that our conversation is expansive enough to where they're getting value out of it too for whatever that's worth. But I think that that's going to be pretty easy to do because if you have two people or more, you need, if not project management software, at least like some level of project management system, right? For sure. Yeah. In your mind, where's the line of demarcation to where I need a plan? I need to go take down a project management software, start building the template, start building standard operating procedures because it's so gray. You know, if you're too small and you do it, you're just infrastructure heavy and you're probably scared and wasting time. It's like, hey, dude, you should be out selling, not writing SOPs because you have, you have nothing to right. processize. But then if you wait too long, which a lot of entrepreneurs do, now you're trying to rebuild the plane when you fly it. So how do you know when to start? Yeah. Well, I think the ROI of all this stuff, like what's the return to project management or what we put into the system? Because everyone's paying a cost one way or another. You're either paying a cost to have a better system so that project management is easier, there's less friction and you're more efficient, you're saving more time and money as you're managing projects down the road, or you're not using a well-designed system. And well-designed, by the way, doesn't mean it takes a ton of time to design. You can have things that are awesome design. You know, there's a famous Apple logo design story where it's 30 minutes of time to create this and there's a big bill for it. So it's not about how much time goes into it. It's about how well the actual design is, but you're either paying the cost in terms of you've spent the time and effort to have a well-designed project management infrastructure for your business or organization, or you're going to pay the cost down the road by not making that investment where projects or in the immediate day-to-day where projects fall through the cracks or they're inefficiently managed. You get stuff out the door on time. It's just you're not earning your revenue efficiently or delivering work on time or on schedule. You're burning people out or whatever those costs are. So there's a cost either way and associated to it. So the ROI of all this comes down to how many projects are we managing at any time? So typically, like your agency, I'm sure was probably like ours. The first thing that you're doing is trying to figure out who the heck are we? Like, what do we actually do? And there's a lot of bouncing around for most teams in terms of what do we actually do? It wouldn't have made sense. The first business that we did was like setting up website pages for people and doing web hosting. One is non-existent and the other one's extremely low margin to do. It would have been a huge waste of time to spend a huge amount of time designing some complex project management solution for that. So we weren't at the right stage. There weren't enough projects going on, enough volume to make it make sense to spend a ton of time on project management. We should have been pretty inefficient with our project management at the beginning. And then kind of once you figure out product market fit or service market fit and you're trying to scale something, I think that's where it's like, hey, this makes a ton of sense to design a really well thought out system. That's a really good note. And I think that's the inflection point too. Once you figured out product market fit and you want to scale you probably should already have some systems in place by then. But if you don't, now is the time to really say, hey, y'all, emergency meeting. We need to at least spend a weekend building this damn thing out. And yeah. to the point that we started the conversation with, it's not just about going and getting a software and saying, cool, got ClickUp. We now have project management. Thank God I'm protected. We'll never have another project system again. Like If you were to define project management, it's not software. It's not process standalone. What is it? How do you pinpoint it? Yeah, I mean, project management is like the pursuit of delivering high quality work on time and in budget. Dude, you're so good at these. Have you ever said that before? No, I I haven't said it in that way. What we're shooting for is delivering a great experience for everyone. So whoever this work is for, whether it's a client or it's our boss or our CEO or CMO or whoever else, who the work is actually for, the audience, that should show up on time and be done up to standards. The people who are working on the project, all the individual contributors, a piece of that. And then the people who are helping manage the work, like 
the goal of project management is to create an awesome experience for all those where we're delivering work on time and in budget that meets or exceeds the quality threshold. I love that. We're going to cut to a commercial. Before we do, we need a nugget from you from the project management world. If you were to give somebody a quick hitter, easy win, what's the one thing if they stop listening right now, but take away this gem of a giveaway, what is it that you'd offer them? Oh man, that's a great question. Well, I'll try and say this as succinctly as possible. There's three keys to making project management work well. There's obviously the tool side, which is what we all get caught up in and think about. Then there's the process side. What are we actually running? And so if you think about efficiency and efficacy, like the tool is to help us be more efficient. The process is how efficacious are we doing the right stuff to get the right outcome that we want. And the big piece that powers all of that is the team habits. And so project management is just a fancy word, industry, whatever that we've created for like behavior change for people. How do we get people actually do things the right and best way every time. And so that's the piece that we should spend way, way less time worrying about hopping tools or optimizing this tool or that tool from the guy who like optimizes tools for people and way more time just on making it super clear to people what we need them to do and then holding them accountable to follow those processes. Dude, this will be a really fun conversation. Habit formation is my favorite topic. Yeah. So I'm excited to dive into that with you. But first, we have to cut to a quick commercial break because Ralph Burns has gambling debts. A lot of people don't know that. He's a horrible, horrible gambler. He's a big problem with trying to put an intervention together. He keeps dodging them, but it's it's bingo and it's tragic. So hang tight. We got to go pay some of Ralph's gambling debts. And uh, we'll be back with Gray McKenzie right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. And we're here with Gray McKenzie, the co-founder of Zen Pilot. You know what's interesting about you, dude, is Zen Pilot's been around for 10 years. That's like a thousand years in internet years. Like that's a long time for a company in your space, in the digital space to have survived. Just out of curiosity, and I hope I don't put you on the spot by asking this, but how many iterations did you go through before you actually landed more or less where you'd be recognizable to yourselves? Do you know what I mean? Was that within that 10-year period or did that start 10 years ago? So uh, what I would say is we've been solving the same problem. There's no iteration in the problems that we're solving. Like We're still trying to solve the same problems. We're still trying to help agencies and marketing teams streamline their operations, fix their project management. But huge iteration in terms of the shape that that takes. This started as a software product. And the lowest point professionally and the biggest kind of identity crisis that we've gone through was when we were married to the idea that we're going to solve this problem with software. And it's way sexier to be a SaaS founder than it is to be a training consulting business. And so we built this software called Do Inbound. That was the first iteration. That's still the business legal names and pilots, the DBA for Do Inbound from when we made that pivot. And, and this pivot happened kind of end of 2017. Um, but we were solving it for the first couple of years, trying to solve it with software. And then the big, big shift, I'm happy to get into that journey in details. And, and what we learned was shutting down our software and then going to implement our solution, the, the training, the behavioral change, the process improvement on top of someone else's software. Was that devastating to have to do? Like come down uh, halfway up Everest? If I look back, like the gift would have been, Kasim, if you came in 2016 and were like, you guys are banging your head against the wall. Saved you from yourself, yeah. And tomorrow, you're not allowed to sell software anymore and you have to do this in services. That would have been the big gift, but that would have been super devastating. Mm. by spreading out the pain, which I would not recommend to anyone else. I'd rather just have taken the medicine and moves on faster. But by spreading it out, I think it was maybe a little less devastating because there's more time to be like, hey, this is not working. We cannot get churn consistently below 5% monthly with this very, very like process-driven project management software. If you have great processes, you love the tool. And if you don't, you hate the tool and you churn out pretty quickly. And most of our audience base, most organizations in the world are not super process-driven. Dude, what an interesting point. So if your tool was actually so good that the efficiency hurt your retention. Say that again. The efficiency well, hurt our retention. Yeah, maybe I'm misdiagnosing here, but you said if you had great processes, you loved our yep. software. Yep. If you didn't, you didn't, which right. means that people that were inefficient were automatically churned out because you had kind of found the inflection points that would create the friction necessary for them to either, it's either change or die, and they were right, like, all right, right, well, we die. Right, yeah, we're gone. Which is funny, man, because sometimes you actually don't want to solve the problem. 
Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like from a marketing perspective, I've got a, and I'm never going to ever say his name. God bless him. <laughs> I've got a really good friend who sells SEO services. He knows who he is and he listens too. So I, I don't know how awkward this next conversation with him is going to be. The way that he reports is a bold-faced lie. And he's like, hey, we built this many links. We clean up these things. Your website uptime is this and whatever, whatever. He never reports on rank. And I'm always like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you can't not report on the one thing that, and he goes, if I do that, yeah. I lose the client. But if they can uh, see yeah, like, look, right. I created the content. I did this, Here's I did the this, I did this. Doing. Then they'll just keep going. And so he actually wants to inhibit the efficiency of his service, of his deliverable, because it helps his retention. I think that just speaks to the integrity of what it is that y'all were doing. Gyms are like this, man. If gyms actually relied on people coming, they'd all be gone. Right, right. They'd all be under. Yeah. So instead, you pivot from software to service. And from, I guess, is it service or is it consultancy? Uh, that's a great question. So I call it a training consulting firm. So the technical aspect is a service. Like, think of that as an agency. You know, like, hey, we'll actually go in and we'll rebuild your ClickUp so that you get the right thing out. We'll structure it the right way so we can get the reporting out that we need to get out of it. And is it always ClickUp or do you use Asana, Teamwork, Basecamp, any other things? Great question. So it's always ClickUp or Teamwork today. Okay. And are you familiar with EOS, Entrepreneur Operating oh, yeah, System? Very, very, cool. very. So on our VTO, our Vision Traction Organizer, that's the two-page business plan for anyone who's not familiar with EOS. One of the clear things that we have outlined for the team is we want to use the best tool for most agencies most of the time to solve this problem. I strongly believe that's ClickUp and teamwork is right there with it. And some use cases is better. And we've kind of grown enough that both of those tools make sense. And we're kind of betting on one of those will be the best tool here in a couple of years. I'm really curious to see you've got ClickUp, way more reach, way more resources growing very quickly, but growing for everyone, teamwork lower velocity in terms of product development, but they're solving just for this agency case. They found religion a couple of years ago and went back to just the agency use case. And so we're more aligned on the teamwork.com side than with ClickUp in terms of who we're both trying to serve. There's more overlap as a percentage of our audience base. But the odds that either one of those tools, like if you said, great, forget that you are partnered pretty substantially with both of these companies. What are the odds that either one of those is the best tool for most agencies to do project management most of the time in 10 years? I would say it's less than 50%. Mm -hmm. It's just not the history of the space. The history of the space is like Basecamp came out and was huge and then Trello was awesome and then Asana and then Monday had their day in the sun and now ClickUp's like the hot and the fastest growing. Monday PM had 48 hours. What happened there? Like Monday at one point, it was like, oh my God, they're going to... Uh, no, 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 no. Like they didn't even crescendo. It was just... I think it was just all ad spend or I don't know. I mean, Monday's still doing really relatively pretty well. They're right up there with Asana in terms of overall market share. But yeah, the buzz around it has died out, at least in the circles that we're running in. I hated it. I love ClickUp. We transitioned from Teamwork to ClickUp. So I really liked Teamwork, but it had its limitations. It's very linear in its thinking. And ClickUp allows for what feels like a pivot table. It's like, oh, I can look at things from different views and depending on my role, so it's interesting to me that you've identified those two because I feel like most agencies have actually also done something similar. It's like everybody's kind of either found ClickUp or they found Teamwork. And then they get stuck too because it's so hard to transition away. Yep. It is hard to transition. What's weird is the average agency switches PM tools every 19 months. Really? What does an agency do? It's like we deliver services for our clients. The entire thing is project management. Obviously, you've got the sales side and what you run your CRM, but the bulk, you know, 70% of your staff, the bulk of your time for sure is spent on doing actual client work, which requires project management in whatever form or, or fashion that it takes on. And so if that's all getting long somewhere and you switch on average every 19 months, now obviously there's a different churn frequency if you then bucket this and you said, well, look, show me agencies that are 20 people or more versus they're not churning every 19 months versus teams that are sub 10 and they're above, if you get below five, you know, they're switching tools every year, trying to figure... Because they're just trying to figure out like what works. And we spend so much... And you're to blame for this, actually. It's all your fault. You're spending ad dollars. These software companies spend so much because of the way that our economy works, where software businesses are valued so much more highly. And they can have a higher CAC to LTV. They're willing to spend a lot more money to acquire customers. All the marketing about fixing project management is about tools. So that's where all the focus goes. That's our natural tendency... When we're told, hey, here's the way to solve this. It's a painful problem. I'm looking for solutions. And all the things that are grasping for our attention are the softwares themselves. That's where people go to try to solve that problem. And so that leads to then a ton of interest and effort put into 
the tool side of what we're doing, way less on the habits and the process side, and leads to a ton of the churn that we see. So I want to ask the question, where should people start in that case? With that understanding in mind, but before I do, I'd like to say that most of our listeners are not spring chickens. So these aren't brand new startups. Generally speaking, it's like, dude, not only have I been around, but I've got all these files in Dropbox. All my emails are over here. We're using Zendesk for this thing. And I've already got this techno stack that even if I could replace my project management tool, that's a domino tip that'll go mess with everything else that it integrates with. And now I'm listening to these guys who are like, oh, you're solving the problem wrong. And I like what you said earlier, like I had to experience the pain slowly. Some of these folks are just going to have to experience the pain slowly. So with the fact that there's already some mess in mind, how do you solve this problem? Because you've said a couple of times, it's not software. Where do we begin if we wanted to really tackle this and, and fix it? Uh, I'm trying to think of like, what's the difference between the answer that gets people to take action and the right answer? <laughs> like, yeah. How do we trick the them to eat their broccoli? Right, right. So let's see if we can work some of that out. Because this would unlock a lot of stuff in our business too, as we keep growing, is figuring out how to message that better. If you look at our marketing right now, there's a ton of stuff about ClickUp. We're very ClickUp-centric. And that's the old adage of sell them what they want, give them what they need. Mm. It's like there's way more eyeballs looking at how do I set up a client portal and ClickUp or do whatever. So that's what we're going to attract people in with from a marketing perspective. Then we're going to try and educate them on, we can give you the best ClickUp setup in the world. And if your team doesn't know how to use it and actually show up every day and do it, or your processes are wrong, like all of that is not going to be as impactful as you think that it is right now. And so there's that element. So the place to start is what's the fundamental problem that we're actually trying to solve and what are we shooting for? And what's the inefficiency that we're trying to eliminate? How are we going to measure the effectiveness of what we're doing? Because the first thing that you try is not going to be 100% accurate. There's going to be something that we need to iterate on. So understanding what do we need to have. For most agencies, they're looking at, I've got all these people doing this work. Sometimes it's in different systems. Visibility is the word. Chaos is the fundamental word that everything boils down to. Visibility and clarity are like the two words that come up all the time. I know my team is working hard. I don't know what they're working on. I don't know what their capacity is. I don't know where this project stands. I can't see our utilization rate or gross margins from all this time that's being tracked here, or I can't even see time that's being tracked here. Yeah, like in your submission for the podcast, you said clarity is kindness. Yeah. Accurate systems give people the information they need to do their best work. I thought that was, at first I was like, you know, you read that in a fortune cookie, but then I thought a little bit more about it and I'm like, clarity really is, there's something about it. I mean, stress goes away and you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing and I know what you're doing and now we can collaborate better. It's such an important thing to key in on, but then it's hard within the chaos to find the clarity. Yeah, right. It's super hard with all the moving parts that are going on. There's all this chaos that gets inflicted on our teams and maybe half a percent, like pretty much none of it is poor intentions. It's all accidental. Everyone's doing good work. How horrible would it be if it was though? You know, it's like, hey, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna hire you to make your life miserable. I'm sure those people <laughs> we, exist. We've run into a couple of those cases where it's like, <laughs> I'm totally happy that they keep suffering through whatever it is. The vast, vast, vast minority that's like noteworthy that that's ever been experienced. So most of it is just like, hey, we've not taken the time to define what we actually need from this and what we need to accomplish. And I would look at it across those three lines. So your tool should give you that visibility. If everyone's following the process and their behaviors are right, the tool needs to be set up so that it gives you the outcome that you need. So really, the place to start, I think, for most teams is to define what that scorecard should look like. In an agency ecosystem, I know I need to see what is client health at all times. Is the project, are we behind on anything? Are we ahead of schedule? How are results? So there's activity and results, obviously. The key pieces here are what's our activity? What are the results from that? And then what's the health of the client relationship? Are like the three pieces that all come together? Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back because I think I'm miscounting. Define your scorecard. I think that's brilliant. What are the activity? What are the results? And then what was the third one? So, so what I'm getting into here with client health is like part of that scorecard. We know we need to see our score. So if I'm running paid ads, it's like, what's the media efficiency ratio for this client? For sure. What's the spend actual versus projected? Those types of things. You would just say, for me specifically, what is it that you're measuring? Yeah, what I want to see in your case is I want to see how happy is the client in this case? What's the strength of the relationship? How's that measured? Is that anecdotal? NPS is still, all the systems are flawed. But NPS is the easiest, fastest. Uh, Net promoter score is the best bang for the buck. And it looks a little different depending on, you know, if you're running Google ads for somebody and they're on a retainer and they're paying you five grand a month, I might measure their NPS. It's an NPS survey once every 90 days. And if you're doing that at 50 grand or 500 grand a month, that looks a lot different with the touch points. 
are going to be and how frequently we're going to reach out to somebody. You touch them more frequently, I imagine, the more important they are. For sure. Are you sending MPS? Can you do that inside of ClickUp? Does ClickUp have that natively? It's not a feature that you can just turn on and have on, but there's a way to design it and have it all built inside ClickUp. Yeah. And if you're listening to this NPS, and I'm going to say what I think NPS is great, and then you tell me if I'm wrong, it's basically just one to 10. How likely are you, and the phrasing is always pretty consistent. How likely are you to recommend us to a friend or something, or how likely are you to continue working with us? One to 10. And then when they select their number, there's just an open box saying why. Yeah, that's right. So how likely do you refer this product or service to a, and fill in the blank, if it's for a D2C business, we're going to say to a friend. If we're B2B, we're going to say to an industry colleague or to something like that is the question. Scale one to 10. And then you get three buckets in terms of how those numbers are distributed. So nines and tens are your promoters. Someone who says, yeah, a nine or a 10, we bucket that into this group called promoters. Sevens and eights are passives and six and below are detractors. And so your NPS score is that out of all the responses you get, the total percentage of promoters minus the total percentage of detractors. So if we put some numbers to that and be like, you got 100 responses, 80 of them were a 9 or a 10. That's awesome. Uh, 10 of them gave you a 7 or 8. They're passive. So we kind of throw those out. And then 10 of them gave you a 6 or below. So those are your detractors. So your MPS score is 80, the percentage of promoters, minus 10, the percentage of your detractors. And so 70 is your NPS score, which would be outstanding. What, that was my next question. What are we aiming for from an MPS perspective? Yeah, if you're running an agency, like the industry benchmark is, and this goes up and down and bounces around, but in the neighborhood of 50. If we see a firm that's at 60 plus, they are in the top 20% of firms in terms of NPS. Doesn't that change based on interval? If I ask every 90 days, I imagine the trend is a little bit different than if I ask every 30 days. Explain why you think that is. Like you get annoyed that I'm asking you so frequently? Well, no, I think I get acclimated to it. I think the more I ask, the better my scores get. Oh, interesting. I don't know if there's a correlation between asking more often in the scores. Obviously, the more often you get it, like the challenge with NPS is if you're asking it every 90 days and you've got 10 clients in your firm, you're getting three scores, three scores a quarter. That doesn't, you know, okay, I got one, one, and one. My NPS is... Um, I don't have zero. That's, that's, yeah. that's not that's not helpful to me at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. I know businesses that don't comp their employees unless the client delivers the NPS score. They get a hundred out of a hundred every time. Yeah, right. So I think that's a huge piece of it. Is what are the incentives that you have for people? And the other thing about running a services business that you don't necessarily have if you're an in-house marketer, you may not have the chance to set the rules. But every new client that comes on, you get to set whatever rules of engagement you want to set. So a ton of people have rolled out NPS and said it doesn't work. Like ten percent of people actually respond to this thing. And if you don't set the expectation that's going to be part of the engagement, you're not going to get responses. And also, if you don't incentivize and drill that into your team as well, you're also not going to get. Yeah. You know, it'd be tons of fun, dude, is for marketers, clients always want the reports. That's the thing. Like, where's my report? I would put it on the back of the report. I'd say, hey, your report is ready. Fill out the MPS form and then yeah, we'll right. send you your report front to you. Side. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea is, yeah, lock, like this is the gated content. And your EN is your MPS score. Yeah. And you even make it a joke. You're like, if you want your report, you know, I'd have like a little image of me like, ah, you you see what I'm doing. Right. Right. This is such a phenomenal example of what you're saying about it's not software. Because the NPS score, you could do that with Google Sheets or sticky notes. There's a million software. It's about make sure you have the process in place. But then it's like, all right, dude, I want to run. I want to do the MPS thing. But if I think about, I've got 100 employees and 200 clients. So now I'm like... I, oh, I even just thinking about it, I'm like, oh God, like it, it sounds like such a simple thing, but that lift is now the benefit I have, Gray, and maybe not everybody has this is I would just go assign it to Yvonne, my CTO. I'd be like, Yvonne, right, right, right. but maybe they don't have the Yvonne. So like, where do you, you know, if you want to start building those processes, where do you start? Yeah. So MPS is one example of how to measure it. What do you, how do you measure client health today? Right now for us, and this is an interesting conversation too, maybe you can coach me on how bad I'm doing, but we've changed everything about our agency and we refuse to accept anything but one goal. So if you say, hey, we're going after subscribers and revenue, not going to take you as a client. We have to go out after one goal and the goal has to be something that we can rely on. We won't take ROAS, we won't take CPA, but we will take ROI, we will take MER. And so that one goal is the thing that we have in our ClickUp dashboard. And I, I actually have every single client on one view where I can see their goals. And then it's binary. It's, are we meeting the goal and are we not? And if we're not, there's a second rate of measure, which is the trend line. Are we at least going up or are we going down? So in a single view, I can say like, okay, who are my problem children? And of my problem children, which ones are coming back and which ones do I need to pay attention to? 
Yep. So that is super close to what I would normally recommend, like without getting into it and saying, oh, here's the customizations I'm going to make to it. My normal recommendation would be that your client health score is like a one to five scoring system. And you're doing both the things that I would recommend. We didn't talk about the client relationship side at all. But a five would be we are meeting or we're exceeding the goal today from an objective. That's your binary answer right now. And the trend is not negative. So it's either staying strong or it's trending up. So that's the results side. The other piece I would look at is, and the client relationship is so strong, if we did ask them the MPS question today, and this is manually set by whoever the account manager is, and they probably do this on a weekly cadence. So this would be a recurring task that you build in ClickUp to manage this? It's right on that the same dashboard that you're using. Just take that and assign it to the account manager. And they're doing this every week. And they're going to answer four main questions as part of it and make sure that metric, that client health score is up to date. And same thing that you said about incentives around it. Incentives have to be baked in here too. You can never say, you know, someone who is a five should never churn unless COVID hits or there's some crazy thing that happens. Yeah, if you've set somebody as a five, you're telling me, hey, boss, you don't right. have to worry. We're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then whoever's running the weekly delivery team meeting and they're going through stuff, we're not looking at every single client account. I'm looking at where there's been a change in scores and I'm looking at anyone who's a three or lower. Oh, that's interesting because we look at the low, but I don't know that we look at the change in scores. So you would look at it even, you know, if they hop from a three to a five, you'd isolate that and say, hey, tell me what's going on here. I would, yeah, I just want to know, wow, that's a big jump to make. Walk me through, what can we learn from that? And how do you do that in a project management tool? Because the way that we have it set up, I can't tell who's changed recently. I can just tell where they are now. There's no timeline. Yeah, so you could use a calculation to be able to pull that, or you can use the activity view to be able to grab it. The other thing that you can do is you can use an automation. And this is the most common solution, like in ClickUp, probably most tools, you can do the same thing. When this specific custom field, your number value changes from this to that, or changes generally, add it to another list. Now it gets added to your issues list. See, now this kind of goes, little flies in the face of what we've been saying the whole time, which is, I know it's not a software solution. You can do all this manually, but the software, sure, gee golly, makes it easier. You know, because if I didn't have that automation, now somebody's got to track this shit manually. Well, the smile on your, like that, let's be real. In any tool, pretty much, you can have an activity feed and it would take you how many minutes each week with the number of clients you have right now to just look at what scores have changed if you had it filtered to just score changes. All the minutes. If I just went through the feed? No, no, no. If you looked at a feed and the feed was only... Where oh, if it was only score system. changes. Okay. Yeah, only score yeah, changes. So I thought you meant if I had to look at everything no, we did for yeah, every yeah, right. client and I'm looking just That'd for score changes. Yeah. <laughs> no, just the changes. Like that's maybe what? Two minutes a, a week? Yeah, like five minutes a week? Right. But the smile on your face, like what lights up, and this is the difference between what's sexy and what sticks, is like, oh, I'm so pumped about that. We could go implement that now and I could save myself five minutes every single week. That would be amazing. That, that's what we get excited about, yeah. which is this weird like human psychology thing when really like the more meaningful thing is having people enter those scores and pay attention to it and answer the questions. The more sexy and exciting thing is... The argument I'm making is not, and I should be the last person in the world to make the argument, it's not that software doesn't matter. Software is a big piece of the equation. It's just not the biggest. I could yeah. give you that system today and if no one was trained on it and if there wasn't a process for how we run those weekly meetings, then it falls apart by itself. Right. So I'm going to go all the way back to your answer, which is brilliant, by the way. It's really, really well done. I said, where do you start? Everything's yeah, a mess. Right. I'm a CMO or a director of marketing or a business owner or whatever. Where do you start? And it's yeah. define your scorecard. That is a badass answer. Because the thing I like about defining your scorecard is, first of all, nobody's done it. It's just always been that thing that we've kind of have in our head and maybe you have in your head, but the, what you have in your head and what I have in I, my head aren't co-centric circles. And so when you define your scorecard, what's nice about that is it starts to let you know where to begin. It's like, man, in order to even have this scorecard, I have to track these three things and I'm only tracking two out of three of them. Now I have my next steps. Yeah. Yeah, scorecard piece. So that's where we got into client health. Like client health is one of those things that should be on your scorecard. What's our average client health? Are we trending up? Or the change in client health? Are we trending up or are we trending down? What's our utilization rate across? If we're running an agency, that's something that we're interested in. Gross margin. If I'm running an in-house marketing team, my metrics change a little bit and I might look at what deliver, how many overdue deliverables. There might be a different measure that we're looking at and what are those key metrics that we need to run a ship? What we're after with all of this is how do we run our organization and team off of objective measures instead of subjective feelings? Mm. Because it's super hard to scale a team. It's just me and you on right now. Like, and we may be calibrated. We might look at the world pretty similarly. And we can look at the same set of data and both say, yeah, that looks like about a 6 out of 10. 
the more that team grows, the more account managers or whatever rule you have, you get people who look at the same set of data and say, oh, this client's an eight out of 10. And someone says, it's a, this client's a four out of 10. Like it's just different ways of looking at it. So we've got to bring objectivity into it. So starting with the scorecard is the first piece. And then from that scorecard, that's where I get into how much of this am I able to easily get from my tool right now? And how much of this do I need to build a system to be able to actually measure those things and measure them accurately? Dude, that's awesome. What I like about the scorecard approach is it actually sets my mind at ease a little bit. It feels approachable now. Because if you're just like, hey, we need project management for the whole company, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. But if you're like, hey, do we have a scorecard? No, we don't. And also the minute you said that, I want one. I want to be able to just go up every day and just look at my dashboard and say, this is my company. This is what we're doing. Yeah. I want to ask you about how you think AI is going to impact project management. But before I do that, a lot of people don't know this. Ralph has a very rare disease. It's one of those ones that you pick up if you've been in the merchant marines or just made poor life decisions. And the medication's expensive. So we need to cut to a commercial in order to help pay for Ralph's penicillin. So hang tight. And when we come back, Gray's going to share what he thinks the impact AI is going to have on project management. Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic. We're hanging out with Gray McKenzie. He's dropping knowledge bombs when it comes to project management, which, dude, I leveled a kind of a horrible, it was a rude way to introduce the conversation, which was try not to bore me, basically, is what I said. And you've made this super interesting. So I'll first apologize for setting that precedent. And then second, like, say thank you for taking what's normally not a fun topic and making it really compelling. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been awesome. So AI is the buzzword. AI is going to solve all project management problems. You're just going to add an AI bot and it's going to see all efficiency at all times and do all the reporting and have all the answers. And then we'll never have more project management problems again, is my assumption. And this is all going to happen by next Thursday. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, just kidding. Obviously, that's not going to take place. However, AI is built right smack gidabby into ClickUp. So where do you see project management getting a lift out of AI tools and what tools are providing that lift. Help people, because me trying to figure out what tools to use, I'm just going to waste all my time, effort, and energy, but you already know. So you can just give us the easy button. All the buzz around AI, and it is the buzz where it's going to take time for it to be as impactful as it can, but already it's a huge efficiency driver. The teams who are benefiting the most and the teams who will benefit the most. Like I think the dream for most people is, I just want to add the task into the system and it goes through and it says, oh, here's the best person to do it. Here's their availability. And here's the best person between their skill set and their availability, kind of their capacity that's open. Hey, I can get it scheduled by Thursday at noon to be done. Is that what you want? Okay, done. You don't have to do any of the looking. Well, for that to work, all the inputs are still going to have to be set up correctly. It needs to know who your team is, what their capacity looks like. The thing that I'm super excited for out of most of the applications of AI are kind of the data analytics that comes from just the insights that says, hey, when you're trying to spin up a new ad campaign, Gray does it in 18 hours and Cosm does it in four hours. And the results actually wind up being twice as good when Cosm does it versus when Gray does it. So even though you're trying to give it to Gray, why don't you give it to Cosm instead? He's not available for two days later. Is that okay with you? So those are the types of use cases that I'm most excited for out of AI's entrance into project management. There's not a good system that does that today, but we're not far away from that. And when that comes, the people who are going to benefit the most are the folks who have a data architecture that makes sense and they've actually been tracking stuff and they actually have something that AI can just access and it'll have to do some data cleanup, I'm sure, regardless of how well people have done it. But they're going to have that whole database ready to roll for AI that folks who are half-assing this are not going to have in place. And so there's going to be a huge advantage given to people who've had strong project management hygiene and practices leading up to it. Bro, we need to pause there because holy shit, holy shit. Like if you want to take advantage of the nuclear weapon that's coming on behalf of all businesses and you want to arm yourself with that against your competitors and forgive me for saying it this way, but against your clients and maybe even your employees a little bit, right? It's like, if you want yeah. to use this amazing tool and I won't call it nuclear weapon, I'll call it nuclear energy. Sure. Because then that means we're not <laughs> killing anybody. Your ability to do so is predicated upon the systems that you have in place. AI is not going to be able to build those systems, at least not yet but it's going to use the systems that you have on your behalf and it's trash in, trash out. What an unbelievable value proposition for actually building it out now and doing it right. It's like the best sales pitch that you could give everybody. And it's the same thing too. I think the application for anybody listening is like, 
in your business, it's the same thing. Hey, do you want AI to make our ads even better? The way to do it for your business is we need to have a data set that AI can learn from and it can identify what things have we done that have worked well and what things haven't. And if we aren't generating any of that data or we're not iterating our way towards that well, we're not getting AI what it needs to work with. So why don't you start investing now or ramp up your investment now so we have better data for the tools that are coming. At some point in time, we'll be able to do it better than we can. That's really brilliant. The AI conversation can be frustrating because it's so speculative. And the problem with AI is it's a lot like God. And I was raised Southern Baptist, so I'm not, I'm not lobbing grenades at anybody, but you can't have a conversation with a Southern Baptist about anything that they don't want to have a conversation about because they always have the out of, well, that's how God wanted it. So like, we don't need to discuss this any further. I have duas machina and we're just going to wipe out the necessity of this conversation. Why are there rainbows? AI does that exact thing because on a long enough timeline, AI can do it. So it's like, why am I building project management? Why am I doing anything? Because there's going to be this magical mechanism somewhere in the future that will just take care of it. And if we sit around waiting for that to happen, we're going to atrophy and die. And so I like turning the conversation around and trying to figure out what's working literally right now, like right now. So is there anything within ClickUp specifically? I haven't played with ClickUp's AI tool, but is there anything within ClickUp that you see AI like really improving the functions and functionality in people's work? I think... The ability to have it outline tasks from copy or take parent tasks and stuff and create suggested subtasks is one of the most useful starting points for a lot of teams right now. It actually frustrates me a little bit. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist, maybe, is like the the approach here. I know that perfectionism is not the best way to approach things. And there is some mentality of like, good enough is good enough that allows you to move a lot faster. But because of that tendency, I've got a parent that, hey, I'm doing this podcast. So to do that, I need to schedule it. I've got to do whatever prep. Afterwards, I've got to send over a thank you note. Then I've got to share it on social. Those are my subtasks of this like parent deliverable that we're doing right now. I kind of want to outline that stuff myself and make sure it's set up right. ClickUp's AI wants to recommend it. So for my personality type, there's just some growing I have to do to accept it and say, yeah, like outline or apply the template that, that I want in this specific case. Or not, dude. What I might be hearing is the expert telling me, hey, I don't want to eat the soup if I don't know what's in it. And right now I don't yeah. trust what they're putting in it. So. Right, right, right. But for a lot of so that, I don't use it as heavily as a good chunk of other folks for that specific use case. I use it a lot inside docs and what we're doing in docs or I use it a ton in the activity thread. So if you wanted to look at your, give me a quick summary of what's going on with these tasks and have it look at all the updates, the score changes, whatever else. Like that inside ClickUp is useful to me and to a lot of other people. But the task creation piece, especially for folks who are new into the platform, that's been really helpful because it's so much easier to edit than to start with a blank screen. And so you put in your, here's the deliverable I'm going to try and do, suggest these tasks to me. Now, if it's something that you do consistently, I'd much rather have a pre-built template that you've intentionally thought and designed rather than trusting AI every time to come up with something. But the three specific use cases that I'd call out there are suggesting or creating subtasks or sub-steps of a parent task or deliverable, giving you a summary, a quick summary of what all has been happening with this client. And then the third one would be like the doc usage and being able to summarize or create action items from all your ramblings, meeting notes, whatever it is. Yeah, I like that third one, especially because that's where I think a lot of things go off the rails. We're so meeting heavy too. That's another thing I think project management can really help. But even if you are going to be meeting heavy, the distillation of the information coming from the meeting and then making sure that we take action on them is huge. And I have seen AI do that really well. You know, like it identifies, hey, somebody said that they were going to do this thing. Somebody better do it. So that's right. cool, man. You're talking about like the AI note takers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't right. know it did that. Somebody had, I don't know if it was Otter or Fireflies or what, but they had it on our meeting. And then I got an email afterwards saying, here's all the stuff that you said you do. Right. And I, 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 was, <laughs> I felt a little violated. I was like, I know. Like, I, you, don't, you, know you don't have to remind me, but I'm glad you did because I actually forgot. So I have a note for you. This is my evil marketer hat hopped on. You mentioned earlier wanting to maybe potentially improve your messaging as far as how you approach folks. Yeah. And I think your messaging is phenomenal, by the way. I'm, I don't think it needs to be improved, but you said it so then it got my wheels turning. One of the sound bites that you offered really piqued my interest. I've got 100 employees, and every employer ever wants to, and they're all virtual. So I assume as soon as the meeting ends, they turn off their computer, they open Netflix, and then they just chill out until the next time I, you know what I mean? And obviously, I know that's not true. I have amazing people, and I love them all. They're phenomenal. But I do want the most out of them. 
And you said, does your PM solution, and I don't think that's the right word, by the way, it's not solution, but is, does your project management solution actually motivate your team? And dude, that's freaking huge. Because if the way that you built this was gamified in a manner that got people like, oh, that's worth its weight in gold. So for whatever that's worth, that was the thing that you said that I was like, man, if somebody approached me with that, that'd be hard for me to forget. You know, you want the marketing message that people think about after the fact, like they can't sleep. And that would have been it for me is it does my project management setup actually motivate my team. And right now the answer is no. Yeah. And then I come to you and I'm like, all right, great. How do we do that? So for right. whatever that's worth. That's helpful. So there's a couple of things that can I run two things by you. Yeah, I I this, might be yeah. interesting for this will be fun. We'll do a marketing brainstorm on the yeah, podcast yeah. and people can see this how stupid costume is. No, I don't. I don't think so at all. I think this is the opposite. This is going to be like, oh, great. Your thinking's way too small about how to gamify this to some degree. So along the scorecard side, like let's just take your agency and click up right now. You've got all this time tracked. Do you time track and click up today? No, I have a philosophical aversion to time tracking that we can discuss and maybe you can talk me cool. about it. Okay. So let's just assume for a second that you did and you've got all this time tracked tied to clients and you know how much each client is paying you and whatever. And you care about looking at profitability along four, three or four key vectors and you want to see it every month. I want to know what's my profitability by service line. We do this service versus that service. Which one? makes more money for us. Um, I want to see it by client. When we service this client versus that client, like who should I be firing? Who should I be as a client? Who should I be trying to clone and create more clients like that? You want to see it by team or department and then you want to see it by individual person. So there's not a way in ClickUp right now to say, hey, here's Cosm's rate, here's Gray's rate. So let's run the calculations on the time spent. So we've built that solution. So it's this profitability utilizations reporting plugin that basically ties into all your ClickUp data, sucks it out, runs the calculations, and presents it in a dashboard that we then re-embed into ClickUp. So it lives in your ClickUp dashboards. For folks who opt in, like the next place to go with that is to be able to take that. And for folks who opt in, do like basically benchmark groups and be able to say, hey, would you like to compare yourself to six other agencies or 60 other agencies who are between 80 and 150 team members? and see what their profitability looks like and what their utilization looks like. And you're just seeing the benchmark and not seeing individual data. So I think that's how people opt into it. And that creates some gamification for the kind of exec or leadership level of the agency. It does nothing for the individual team members, though. That data is probably not going, certainly not profitably by individual person. is not getting shared in the vast majority of organizations with teams. So that's kind of like high level, one area of gamification that we're working on building out. On the lower level, the first thing that's in place right now is as you go through kind of the training and certification process in what we do, every single member of every single team goes through our agency project management certification if they're an agency. So it doesn't matter. You could be a half-time contractor or you could be a media buyer or whatever else. Everyone goes through it. And there's some other training that's available and that you earn different badges and unlock access to different areas. But there's not a huge tangible reward. And so I think this is a huge opportunity to do more gamification. So those are two things that are either already in play or coming. Is there anything else that's obvious to you? Is it like benchmarking stuff? Hey, your teammates completed 13 tasks today on average, took them XYZ time. You're at four. How would you like to get? Or you're at six, probably the more motivating thing. It should probably all be positive. Maybe not all be positive spin, but you're in the top 20% of task performers today or something. Like, is there anything else that's obvious to you as you hear some of those things that might be helpful gamification steps? As an employer, I love the idea of being able to see my entity compared to other similar entities. That's really helpful. I end up having questions about how it rolls out. I'm thinking about from the employee perspective, though, one of the things I've always been worried about is, man, I'm, I'm really obsessive with culture. It's why I don't like to track hours. Yeah. I don't want people to feel, I don't put like, there, I have friends that put like software on people's desktops that screenshot their desktop. Right. Yeah. Every you know, 10 I'm minutes like, or Yeah. I'm like, dude, what kind of, you know, <laughs> how, what, is, what message is that sending? How do you, how do you right. have a relationship with a human who's like big brothering you that way? You know, I'm like, you're like the weird obsessive boyfriend that's stalking this girl and we need to protect her from you. And I realized that tracking hours and screenshotting desktops are worlds apart, but they live on the same spectrum of suspicion. And so for me, and I, I'm not answering your question at all, Greg, you're, you're welcome for dancing around. But it just, just as we're bouncing this back and forth, the efficiency measures I would want to see would be in the background. If you could take intrinsic qualifications of performance 
and then benchmark those against, because, you know, here's the other thing, and I might be the only employer who's like this, but if Sally spends three hours a day working and Jeffrey spends 10 hours a day working, but Sally has more clients who are happier, I want more Sally's and I'll pay her more and God bless her. So I feel like in a lot of ways, we're actually tracking the wrong thing. That's what I'm saying. I took the long way. I want to make sure through the agency dashboard that we're tracking the right things. And I think employers that are obsessed with things like time, why are we so obsessed with time? My most efficient employees, my best employees spend the least time on stuff. So if there was a way to look at the goals that I define, things like revenue, NPS scores, client performance, retention is huge, 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 huge. And then on a macro scale, start to see which of my resources and maybe more importantly, which combination of resources. Like, hey, dude, when you put Sally and Marco together, holy shit. Like that's the, so I think connecting the dots that would otherwise be very difficult to connect, I think that would be really helpful. Did I answer your question at all or did I just talk for no reason? The thing that is helpful is like time is the easiest one for us to gamify around. Because most teams are doing it and every team needs to have some way to do capacity management. So I will actually, I would say two things. One is I would push you a little bit to think about, and my guess is you've already grown through this, but most agency owners, this takes a while to recognize the autonomy that we crave as entrepreneurs. Like if you put hub staff on my computer and it screenshotted my computer every 10 minutes. I don't even have anything like 90% of my day I'm living in ClickUp or email. Dude, or, I would spend all you know, day making sure you saw anyway. nothing but pictures of phalluses just, just to be passive aggressive. <laughs> like I, right. I, I would hate that so much. So that I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, it would drive me crazy. I'd be out of there so quickly. But that level of autonomy that we want as entrepreneurs is not the same level of autonomy that many, many team members want. Like they're working in an organization because they're not wired the same way. The natural tendency is to take whatever we want and assume that other people want the same thing. And it's like the love languages thing. Like it's not, they actually want more structure, more direction, more clarity than we would want because we're comfortable operating in chaos. That's the reason that we are operating businesses and are entrepreneurial. Well, I just want to real quick concede defeat because you, you what a phenomenal point that is that I never really considered. And when I look at my organization, I hire a bunch of entrepreneurs. They all freelance. They all have gigs on the side. I almost insist on it. But I have had, and you know, I've been an employer for 20 years, and I've had this come up very often. When employees give me feedback, they're like, we need more structure, more whatever. And I'm like, no, you're a grown up. Go do your job, do your thing. And if as long as you do it well, I'm happy. And now I've found my people, the people that can come work for me and we can make that work. But I've been repellent to maybe the majority of the workforce. And I just now, it sucks that I had to learn that on air. But yeah, well, I think you're right. What you just said is really common. And this took me a long time to come around on is like, we can't even comprehend that. I think for so many entrepreneurs, it's like, hey, there's grownups like me who want to be given the general direction. And then like you go trailblaze and you figure it out. And like, I don't want anybody looking over my shoulder and I will come back. I'll do the thing and I'll come back and bring it back to you. And then there's the kids who want to be babysat. And we can't even comprehend that. Like, no, there's multiple different types of grownups. And our type of grownup is like this. These other totally mature, responsible, awesome adults who actually crave a lot more structure and clarity and, hey, do this in this way. And here's the boundaries that you have to kind of experiment within. And they want tighter boundaries than we want. If I go back a second to the capacity side, the reason that most teams, so many teams and totally people get time tracking wrong and view it as a micromanagey thing, when used well, it's the easiest way, kind of the default way to do capacity management and say, okay, I know I've got 40 of these units to work with. On average, a new client coming on board, this client's going to take you 10 of those hours every week. So I know that you can do X number of clients. Paid acquisition firms probably are the most common or one of the most common types of teams who do capacity management differently and say, you're managing, it could be how much spend are you managing? I build by ad spend, I pay by ad spend. I I mean, our incentives are tied. Right. That would be a case where I would advocate for as long as that's working and that's how we measure capacity and say, here's what you need to at minimum be managing. What's the line between how much above that can you go because of how skilled you are and then how many more hours do you have to put in and where does burnout happen? And we're just figuring that out and probably bucketing people into different levels of performers there. So I think there's a lot of creative ways to think about capacity management. And I think more owners and team leaders should spend more time thinking about does it have to be hours? Am I actually looking at hours and using them well? There's cases where absolutely that's the right metric to use. And I don't run away from that. 
at all. And there's a lot of cases where if you can use number of clients managed X of these projects, amount of ad spend managed, that makes a lot more sense. Dude, you're fun to talk to. I'd love to have you back. If somebody wants to work with you or follow you, where do they go? So LinkedIn is probably where I'm most prevalent these days. Gray McKenzie, websites, zenpilot.com. And folks want to nerd out on this stuff, figure out my email and, uh, and shoot me a note. Yeah, go check out Zen Pilot if you're interested in done for you implementation of ClickUp. We're on ClickUp. I'm a fan, not an affiliate. Are you guys affiliates? Do you get paid by ClickUp? We actually had an opportunity when we were signing up with, so we predate their partner program. Like I got connected with Zeb and the team when there were eight of them. Oh, wow. Like way back in 2017. And so we had a choice to either take kind of a big cut in terms of commission of all these folks, or we had a whole bunch of clients we were migrating over, give them a longer extended free benefits on ClickUp. So we figured, hey, we're going to make our money on the servicing side. This will make it easier for us to retain our clients and get new clients if we have this deal. So we've got a pretty sweet deal in terms of folks being able to get onto ClickUp. They would prefer us to say it for a free period of time before they have to start paying for subscription, but essentially it's a discount. That's awesome, dude. Good for you. For those of you listening, appreciate you. Grateful to you. Don't forget that you can win a free ticket to traffic and conversion. All you have to do is write a review, an honest review, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Reviews, I think, is the easiest. And we're going to pick one at random, and you'll get to come hang out with me and Ralph Ray Burns. Ralph will buy you a drink and talk to you all about his presidency in the Flat Earther Society, which he won recently, unanimously. He's very proud. He got a plaque. It's two-dimensional. So don't forget to subscribe and leave that rating. We will be announcing the winner on January 2nd. Traffic and conversion is January 9th through 11th. Largest marketing conference in North America. Yours truly will be speaking. I'm the last day. I'm, no, I'm the last session of the first day, which is where they put people who they don't like because that's when the bar opens up. No, last, uh, ses- last session of the last day is where they put people they don't like. So you're That's probably you're true. Not, I'm the last session of the first day. So I'm the person that was good enough for the first day, but that they didn't like. You're kicking off the party. That's a key yeah. role. Maybe. I appreciate that vote of confidence, Gray. Let us know what we can do better. You can go to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Tell us what we do well, what we do poorly, and other topics or speakers you'd like to hear from. Follow Ralph at Ralph HB and me at Qasem Aslam on all places social except TikTok because I'm a grown-up. Go back and listen to previous episodes. All resources and show notes are at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of me, peace. Gray, last words to you. That was awesome. Thanks for the opportunity to come on and share. I think we can all do a better job of organizing our work, caring for our people, and giving everyone clarity. Yeah, great job, brother. Appreciate having you. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 